Hi, thanks for joining us. We are taping our third podcast in the series of How Geographic Migration Affects Research Careers. And today we have with us Dr. Emily Nakeda at McGill University, who spent the early years of her postdoctoral fellowship years commuting between Quebec and Vermont on a daily routine. And when I first found out about that, I thought, wow, we really need to capture this experience because it's definitely not something that most trainees like to do and um, or prefer to do, but it's quite brave. And she had a successful run during her postdoctoral fellowship at Vermont. So we wanted to call her in and see if she'd share her experience with us so we can learn from it. So hi, Emily. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, thank you for joining us today. I'm glad you can make time to share your experiences and some words of wisdom about your experience with your quite intense commute. To start off, would you like to tell us what your present position is? Yes, I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the uh, Research Institute at the McGill, McGill University Health Center, and I'm pretty oh, much in my last year of my postdoc. Oh, great. Okay. The time that you did this commute, um, uh, it was your early years, right? So how many years did you do this commute, and what was that daily commute like? So that was for the first three years of my postdoctoral experience, um, almost exactly three years. And generally speaking, it was a very unique experience. I mean, I would probably for the first few months, I was kind of aiming to get to work around 9 o'clock. You know, you're just trying to... Um, orient yourself in the lab, get to uh, know the people and the project, that kind of stuff. So I figured 9 o'clock was fine. But um, very quickly afterwards, I started aiming to get to work for 7.30. And since I was living uh, just outside of Montreal and I was heading down to Burlington, Vermont, which for a drive is about an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 45 minutes straight, um, I was waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning and trying to get out the door by 5.30 so I could drive down every day. So at what point of the interview process did you share with with your PI in Vermont that this is the kind of commute that would be involved for you? You know, I decided to be upfront from the beginning. I felt like it was only fair because, you know, I was still willing to entertain um, other options, uh, whether it was uh, in and around Quebec. So I, I was really open-minded about it. So that I decided... I'm going to be upfront. I'm going to tell my supervisor that this is what I'm planning to do. Um, he was okay with it, although I will say he was concerned, and he did try to suggest that perhaps I should live a little closer to work, but, I mean, he didn't pressure me. He was just a little concerned, and rightly so. I, I think uh, <laughs> when I got to, first, uh, when I got to uh, work uh, the first day or two, I was hearing from people that um, people had just said, I'm sure that she's only going to last a week before she stops coming down here or she moves. So I kind of feel like everyone had that concern there. And then what made you decide to pursue a fellowship that would um, require such a commute? Well, so 
my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband, um, he was doing his uh, pharmacy program. He was finishing it off in Quebec City, which is about, I'd say, two, two and a half hours away from Montreal. And he was going to be coming back to Montreal um, around the same time that I was going to be starting my postdoc. And so there's a lot of changes going on. And uh, since he's a pharmacist, he needs to um, you know, do some exams. So he's eligible to actually practice in Quebec, but that doesn't make him eligible to practice in other um, provinces or in another country. So I decided if I really want to do something like gain experiences outside of, you know, the uh, outside of Montreal, I'm going to have to be the one to, you know, uh, look around and uh, take it upon myself to push myself. So uh, I guess we wanted to still stay in Quebec. We were open-minded to other parts of Quebec, like even if we got closer to the border. But in the end, we decided we were going to stay close to Montreal, and then I would just make that commute down. The reason why I specifically went to Vermont was because I needed to be close to Quebec, uh, the province. And I felt like Burlington, Vermont would be a good option because they also have a great respiratory program there. So I knew that I wasn't giving up on the research, the quality of it. So um, so the mix of the two is just like the personal plus the fact that Burlington, Vermont had a really great respiratory program, which is what, what I do my research in. Um, it made sense that if I was going to do something a little crazy, I was going to go there and do that. So how long, um, so how, how many years this, was this arrangement? It was for three years. Initially, the agreement, the, the paperwork was for the for two years, but um, my supervisor uh, extended it. Uh, actually, he was willing to extend it, I think, for the full five years if I was willing, but he had um, pushed it to four years. Um, I told him I was uh, able to stay for three years total, but then afterwards, I really needed to head back to Montreal. I guess one question I did have for you was that do you think the commute in any way positively or negatively affected the science you're pursuing? Yes, uh, I think if for the most part, it, I think it depends on the person. So for someone like me, I'm like I'm a morning person. I have a lot of energy. I will get some coffee and I'm good to go for the day. I have a like a very optimistic uh, outlook. So I I always made it so that when I get to work, when I when I push myself to do this, get to work, I want to be more efficient. I want to do the work. I, I don't want to use my commute as an excuse as to why I put in a six-hour day. I want to be that type of person where they're like, wow, I mean, she's doing more than a nine-to-five, and she's getting the work done. She's doing great research. Um, you know, like I, I didn't want to let people down and I didn't want to let myself down. So for someone like me, I would say it, the commute didn't negatively affect my work. I feel like, if anything, I pushed myself more because I was thinking to myself, if I'm going to spend, you know, three to four hours uh, commuting every single day, I'm not going there so that I can sit in front of a computer, you know, nod off, go to sleep, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, I was really motivated. So I, I don't think it negatively affected um, my work at all. In terms of uh, positively, like I said, I, I really think that it, when you are living further away from work, I hear that people get into work earlier. But the closer you to live to work, you often end up showing up late. And I think that might be the case for me as well. Wow, so you would get there earlier at times? Yeah, so so this is a, do you want to get an idea for the type of, I guess, 
commute options I had in the morning. It was it's kind of weird, yes. it's a little bit interesting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so like when I first started off, I you know I had to uh, buy a car because obviously I can't lease a car, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm putting on some mileage on my car, so I bought a car. So that was one thing. Um, and then I figured, okay, so I can see that it's about an hour and a half to maybe an hour and forty five minutes uh, drive. So for probably about three or four months, that's what I was doing. I was driving all the way down to work. Um, and so I would say the total commute in general, because there's not much traffic in, in Burlington, Vermont, um, I would say was pretty much three hours and 15 to three hours and a half total. But then uh, another PI that was at uh, the University of Vermont told me that there were um, buses that I could take uh, partway. And so about 45 minutes north, of the University of Vermont, uh, there are buses that I can take. So I would then, um, majority of the time, I would take my car down to this area where the bus would show up, and then I would commute the rest of the way. So what that would do is that it would increase my commute time by 15 minutes, but it would also take away 45 minutes. It would add 15 minutes to my commute, but it would mean that I wouldn't be driving for the additional half an hour to 45 minutes. So that meant it saved me mileage, saved me gas. It meant that during the winter time, you know, I didn't have to worry as much for that, for the extra, you know, uh, 30 or 45 minutes of driving that I might get an accident, you know. So there were benefits to it. And also the commute was for free. So anyone who was working at the University of Vermont could use these buses for free. So that's what I ended up up doing, but the on the other end, because Vermont is not very populated, um, there aren't many buses. So in the morning, I only had two bus options. So one that would get me to work by 7.30, and the other would get me to work about 8.30, somewhere around there. Um, and then there were two buses that would leave the University of Vermont. So one was at 5 o'clock, and one was at 5.40. So I pretty much took the one that got me to work at 7.30, so the earliest one, and I took the latest bus back, 5.40. And of course, there were times that I would like arrive earlier or later or I would uh, leave work earlier or later and that all depended on um, whether I brought my car down or not. So sometimes I would bring down my car um, purposefully because I had some awkward uh, times that I needed to uh, arrive or leave. So when you were in Vermont, when you did bring the car down, um, would you have to pay for parking as well? Uh, yes. So the parking it didn't really cost very much. Um, I think it was a small percentage of the amount that I was getting paid. So it depended on how much you got paid. Um, I don't remember it being too much. At least compared to Montreal, it would have been dirt cheap. But of course, from what I understood, for other people, it would have been considered uh, quite expensive if you're used to not paying at all for parking. So I just got a, a, a standard um, deduction from my paycheck, even though I didn't actually use the parking lot um, all that often. But it, it was it was reasonable. Would, would you say there was a difference in work culture in your experience um, in the Canadian academic environment versus the American? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And, you know, thinking about that question, I really think it's probably more of a difference between, you know, labs, um, departments, uh, institutions, and not necessarily a lot of the differences uh, that I've experienced um, being a Canadian versus American. There are certain things that are very different between uh, Canada and the U.S., but I think those are more like to do with the uh, the things that are really essentially specific to the American uh, research um, program versus Canada's. So for instance, um, with uh, the, the way that they recruit grad students, 
Um, it looks like uh, from what I experienced in the University of Vermont, you know, there are applications that are uh, submitted and then these students are um, invited to come in for interviews and then they're the, the top however many are invited um, to come join the program and then uh, of course a certain percentage of them accept. Whereas in Canada, you know, if you're a student who wants to come to a Canadian institution to be a student, if you can find a PI who's willing to take you and has the money and you meet the requirements of the program, then you're essentially in. So I feel like that might affect that the, the way that the students work. I think there are pluses and negatives, uh, but I felt like those kinds of things also I felt like the uh, the the grants. So I feel like in Canada, um, the grants that are offered to postdocs, it's a little more murky in terms of how you navigate uh, the system of getting your first grants. Whereas when I was in the U.S., I would notice that um, there are, there's like a systematic way in which uh, a, a postdoc would classically uh, get their first grant and then move up and up and, and get bigger grants and then finally start applying to become their own PI. So I feel like there were differences like that, but that has mostly to do with the, the programs itself. Whereas the environment in the lab, I feel like, for instance, me arriving at 7.30 at the University University of Vermont, there was a, a technician who would arrive a, a few minutes later, usually 7.45 or 8 o'clock, somewhere around there. Um, but then when I come into work uh, at um, in my lab right now, you know, I can come in at 8.30 and I'm the first one and I might not see someone for a while. But I think that's just because that's what's going on in this lab because then everyone stays longer. Everyone leaves a little later or they come in a lot during the weekend. So I really think that's maybe a lab-to-lab, -lab, you know, department-to-department, institution-to-institution kind of difference. So if you were to go back and make the decision um, not specifically for which institution you chose, but for that much chunk of your day going into commute and you had a choice otherwise, would you perhaps not do such a long commute? And what would you advise anybody who's considering long commutes or living in different countries for work or for pursuing school? Right, that's uh, also a great question. I I think my answer really is, if it were old me, you know, me making that decision back then, I still would have done it. I mean, having learned what I learned, I would have done it. But that's because of my personality. Um, I wanted something. I was, I really wanted that experience um, in a different country or a different institution, you know, that kind of thing. And so I was really, really motivated. And I'm a morning person. And, you know, all these combination of things, I would do it. But me as I am today, no, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. You know, like I'm in my late 30s. I'm just not at the point where I would want to do this over again. In terms of, like, I, I also want to say that, you know, my commute, despite it being one and a half hours to two hours with the, whenever I took the bus, um, one way, you know, that's, kind of common for a lot of people who commute from, you know, into big cities. You know, they're commuting for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, maybe even close to two hours on a daily basis. So in that sense, my experience isn't unique. The uniqueness of my experience is that I'm crossing a border. And that's, I guess, the, the thing that almost made me not end up going to the University of Vermont um, I felt like that might be an issue, you know, how much time am I spending at the border, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but otherwise, I feel like I'm not the only 
person who makes this commute every single day. So if you're the type of person who has no choice or is really super motivated, you know, go for it. That's for you. But in general, if you're kind of a little wishy-washy on the, you know, on the issue, I would say this is not for you. Don't do it. It's really tough and I didn't get much sleep. So, and I I think yeah, I think it's only for a very small portion of people, let's put it that way. So I guess one thing I should have asked earlier was, so what kind of preparation did you have to do in terms of visas? Um, I believe at one point you told me that you, not in this recording, but um, I did know that you had applied for the Nexus Pass. So can you shed some light there, especially what kind of documentation you needed to make such a daily commute so you could save time on the border? Right. So, uh, again, this is going to be an experience that's uh, very unique uh, between Canada and the U.S., and I believe Mexico and the U.S. as well. And, of course, uh, as it stands right now, obviously things can change in the future. So, for me, as a Canadian, it's really easy. Um, all I had to do was the first day of work, um, I just had to come in with uh, the the letter uh, that was drawn up by my supervisor offering me the position, and I also had to have some proof of my uh, of my PhD. I I believe I had my passport with me. Um, it's just very very. Uh, it, it wasn't very hard to get the documents together. It was mostly just to show that I had a job um, in the U.S. and that I had my passport and that sort of thing. I think there was a couple of additional things, but it, it was very minor stuff. As a Canadian, it's it was a pleasant experience. Um, whereas if you are not Canadian and you're traveling into the U.S. doing this commute, it's a lot more difficult. You would have had to prepare uh, months in advance, visas, that kind of thing. I don't want to say it was a visa because that allowed me to commute every day into work for that set period of time. So that was kind of easy. In terms of the Nexus Pass, yes, that was really beneficial. I would say probably less beneficial for me considering the um, the, the area like the border where I crossed, um, doesn't actually have that much traffic. So the way it was was that there were uh, three regular lanes and then there was a nexus lane. And that is for um, uh, Americans, Canadians, and Mexicans uh, who can travel in that lane who have a nexus pass. To get a nexus pass, uh, the most annoying thing is that you have to, it's the waiting process, because you basically apply, you have to go in usually to an airport to do an interview um, with an American uh, agent, um, and, uh, you know, you pay, I think it was $50 American. Um, you have to get your eye scanned, I think a fingerprint, that sort of thing. The, the process was actually easy. It's just more that you have to wait to get the interview, that kind of thing. But it is totally easy, very convenient. And, in fact, I think um, it's encouraged that more Canadians um, take advantage of this Nexus Pass because you can also not only use it um, at the border uh, between Canada and the U.S., you can also use it at the airport to kind of skip and get ahead of everyone else who's waiting in line. Um, so that, um, it, honestly, it only helped on days where the traffic was really, really bad. But I would say 95% of the days, there was almost no traffic. So going in the Nexus lane probably saved me like maybe five minutes at most. And some days, even the Nexus lane took me a little bit longer and again by maybe a minute or two. So that's kind of the thing about um, the Nexus Pass and my border specifically that I crossed. It was, uh, it, was a, it was a pleasant experience. I really enjoyed it. Emily, that is really fascinating and so brave of you. I'm so happy that you took out the time to share the experience with us. 
on a concluding note, is there anything you would like to share? There is one thing you mentioned during the podcast, which I which I thought was very valuable. You mentioned, depending on their own personality, that you know they can make the decision accordingly, and and especially depending what stage of life you're at, right? Which right. is also quite key. Yeah. Any parting words? Um, I guess my the only thing I'd really like to say is, you know, we're we're scientists. We're really driven. We're we're pushing ourselves or being pushed on a daily basis to do good research, to, you know, make the most of our career and try to push to attain whatever it is that we want in life. So, you know, if you're really motivated, you're going to do the things that you didn't think that you were capable of doing. So, you know, if you really feel that strongly about something, go for it. And if you're not, don't do it. <laughs> you know, it's it's not for everyone. You find the areas in which you know you can push yourself. And in this sense, I knew I could do it. And that's what I did. So that's what my only okay. piece of advice. <laughs> that's so inspiring. Thank you so much. So as you heard uh, the experience of Dr. Emily Nakaga, who had graduated from McGill University and then had taken up her first postdoctoral fellowship at University of Vermont, had a daily commute that was about up to two hours, about an hour and 45 minutes one way, and it was quite a commitment. And during that time, I knew Emily, and what I really at that time found amazing was she never complained about that commute. When we started this podcast series, I felt that at a certain point, we need to interview her because it's a unique experience, and she's probably, like she mentioned in the podcast, not the only one who may have to do it, and I thought it was valuable out there that if you're in a position considering um, a commute for personal reasons um, or financial reasons or whatever it may be, that it can definitely be done, but you just need that motivation. So thank you, Dr. Emily Nakada, for joining us today, and good luck with all your research pursuits. Thank you.